Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and let's go for a quick survey of the glory of God. It would take a man his life to cover the glory of God as it's revealed in the Bible, as it's revealed in creation, as it's revealed in conscience. It would take a man his whole life. What systematic theology could be written about the glory of God? The Bible from the first chapter to the last chapter describes His glory. Go read either chapter. And everything in between is about the glory of God. The only reason He created was to reveal His glory to other creatures. The only reason He created you was for for Him to show His glory to you and for you to give Him glory. He doesn't need what you give Him, but He wanted to reveal His glory to creatures. It is an inexhaustible subject. It's a wonderful subject. It is your purpose for life. If you miss this, you miss your purpose for life, and you will bring the wrath of a glorious God that wants glory and honor and praise and worship from every one of His creatures. Right. There is nothing in your life, and everything in your life added up and squared doesn't amount to anything. It's all going to disappear in a second when you leave this world. No one is going to care about your accomplishments. No one. They won't even be able to. There's no reason to. It's the glory of God that gives us purpose. It's the glory of God that gives us pleasure. It is a privilege to know the God of heaven. It is a blessed privilege. He created us to know Him and He saved us to know Him. It's my duty to emphasize this. If I were to fail in emphasizing this, I would fail in the most important part of your religion. And that is to know the glory of God and to desire Him, to adore Him, to love Him, to serve Him, to delight in Him, to worship Him, and to praise Him. All else is subordinate to this subject. I have said this already this morning, but let me repeat myself. Your salvation, your salvation is just to reflect His glory. Remember, He ordained you as a sinner to begin with. And He saved you from what He ordained to take place in the Garden of Eden for a revelation of His glory. He had one lump of clay, and He's going to get glory from the vessels of dishonor, and He's going to get glory from the vessels of honor. He's going to get glory. Let's give Him glory. There's no subject that will earn His favor more. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. There is no subject that will bring you greater pleasure than to fulfill the purpose of your empty soul. And it can be filled with purpose in delighting in the God of heaven. Everything He's done, He's done to reveal His glory. This morning sunrise that I made mention of, did you see it? If you saw it, did you say anything to Him? It was magnificent. I thanked Him profusely. As a token. I took it as a token from him. You can take it as a token from him. There's a thousand tokens every day of his goodness and his glory and his greatness revealed to us. Everything else is subordinate to his glory. There's hardly a limit to this subject or an end of it. He is our God, brethren. Know him. Love him. Give him glory. You will, one way or another. You will, one day soon. Let's give Him glory. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. When Paul wrote, he couldn't keep his fingers from the keyboard in in blowing up the glory of God. Pick any epistle you want. Pick any chapter you want. Pick Romans chapter 11. For of Him, and to Him, and through Him, be honor and glory forever. 
Amen. Amen. But that's in the middle of a personal letter. Paul was writing the church at Rome. Why does he write that way in the middle of a letter? Because he loved the glory of God. Are you like Paul? You know you can't read the Psalms without reading about the glory of God. Are you like David? I want you to be like David. The Lord wants you to be like David. He gave David as a pattern. He gave Paul as a pattern. For of him and through him and to him be honor and glory and power everlasting. Amen. Amen. Find it in Paul's epistles. Look at this. He's writing Timothy. This is a one-on-one email. First Timothy. You understand what I mean when I say that. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 17. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In the middle of a personal email. This is our brother Paul. He met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and the glory was above the noonday sun. And it knocked Paul to his feet, blinded his eyes, and all those that were with him. And this is how he writes. Let's go to the last chapter of 1 Timothy. You've heard these verses so many times from me, and you'll hear them again if God gives me breath. The only reason to be alive is to give glory to God. Hezekiah on his deathbed prayed for God to give him a few more years because he said, how can my tongue glorify you if I'm in the grave? David reasoned that way as well with the Lord. It's the most powerful reasoning to get yourself some life extension. It's a whole lot better than vitamins and minerals from GNC or any other source. It's to tell the Lord, if you take away my life, my tongue will lie silent in the grave, and I will not be able to praise thee. You exist for his praise. You're appealing to the highest leverage you've got with him, is to give glory to God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15, which in his times he shall show. This is coming. There's a show coming. Have you seen the show? Do you know about the show? Which in his times he shall show. Who is the blessed and only potentate. Amen. I wouldn't want to belong to those shriners that go around and call each other potentate. When the Bible says he is the blessed and only potentate. I don't care how much money they give for little burned children. Because whatsoever is not of faith and in obedience to God's word is an abomination to God. Don't get your priorities and perception confused by the world. Pagans have always patted themselves on the back. And pagans have always done nice little things for orphans and burned children in order to get themselves a name. But there's only one potentate. There's no imperial potentate. There's no grand master. There is one master, and he's God of heaven, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God manifest in the flesh. Who in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. 
Look at the way Paul writes his personal correspondence. This is what ought to characterize our thinking and our speech. This ought to characterize our hearts and our lives. The glory of God. Thank you, Father in heaven. There's so many other verses that can be looked at, but we do not have time to look at them. There are, it is the Bible. It reveals the glory of God. Look at Psalm 63 and let's remind ourselves of the duty of this subject and why we're considering it. Psalm 63. Peter wrote the same way. If you go and look in the first epistle, the second epistle, you're going to read the same kind of words. While you're turning to Psalm 63, I'll go ahead and tease you with 2 Peter 3.18. Since you're not turning there, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 sounds like this. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. The apostles were constantly speaking of the glory of God. Remember, Peter saw his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter saw Jesus a little differently than the other nine saw him. Peter, James, and John stood at him on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah and saw the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. The apostle Paul saw him in glory. And John saw him in glory. No wonder we read about the glory of God a few times in the book of Revelation, wouldn't you say? Psalm 63, I read to you the first two verses. Oh God, Thou art my God. Is that your heart's cry today? Oh God, Thou art my God. I don't care if any, no one else wants God to be their God. I don't care. Make your choice. He is going to have the last laugh because He's my God. Amen. My God is the God of the Bible. And He laughs last and He laughs best. Amen. Make your choice. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel, is what Amos would say to the nation. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Oh God, I want to see your power and I want to see your glory like I've seen your power and glory before in the sanctuary. We've done this before in the sanctuary. We're doing it again because I want you to see his power and his glory in the sanctuary. We're told to do this. Look at Psalm 72, verse 18. Psalm 72, 18. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel. Psalm 72, 18. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. No one else does wondrous things. He only does wondrous things. Only He does wondrous things. And blessed be His glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. Because one amen is just not enough. So it's amen and amen. Do you love the glory of God? Fulfill your purpose. Fill your soul. Delight your spirit. Bless your heart. Lift up God. Love these verses. And there's hundreds more. You can almost turn the pages of Scripture and stab with your finger and find some statement to the glory of God or some description of His power and His glory. It's a great subject. Others speak of it, not just David in the Psalms, but others speak of it. 
And whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we're to do all to the glory of God because the glory of God is the central theme of the whole universe. Lord, help us. God's glory is His resplendent beauty and His magnificence due to His infinite perfections. That's what God's glory is. Glory is beauty. Glory is majesty. Glory is magnificence because God is so infinitely perfect. Our exalted praise and our exalted honor and worship and admiration that we give God is when we give Him glory. But He's already got the glory. We just describe and ascribe that glory back to Him when we give Him glory. Look at Job chapter 40 and verse 10. Job 40 and verse 10. This is like eating candy from a candy dispenser. This is turning the pages of Scripture and finding a piece of candy. You say, that's sacrilegious the way you talk about the Bible. Then read Psalm 19 sometime where it says that thy word is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Job 40 and verse 10. Who's talking in Job 40? Bless His holy name. God comes down to defend Himself. And if you won't defend Him, and if you won't delight in Him, He will come to His own defense. And you don't want to enter into an argument with the Most High God. Job 40 and verse 10. You want to know a definition for the word glory? Look at the synonyms that it's associated with in this text. Job 40.10. God says to Job, Deck thyself. Now, with majesty and excellency, and array thyself with glory and beauty. There are three synonyms for glory. Majesty, excellency, and beauty. And the Lord is saying to Job, Why don't you dress yourself the way I dress myself? If you want to argue with me, you deck yourself. You get some clothes on to look like me. God knew he couldn't. And you know what Job did at the end of this? He said, I repent in dust and ashes. I have opened my mouth when I shouldn't have spoken, but now mine eye seeth thee. And we want to see God this day, so we'll never even think this way. We will just delight in Him. Oh, Lord, there is so much in the Word of God. His glory is above the heavens. But let's consider some things very quickly. I I have a time objective for today, and it's going to be relatively short. Let's just keep moving. Okay? How can we define God? Can we define Him? We want to look at some aspects of God to lift Him up as high as we can based on what the Bible tells us about Him. The first thing we want to consider is the infinity of God. God is infinite. He cannot be searched out altogether. His wondrous works cannot be numbered. They're too high for us. And there are verses that tell us these things. You're in the book of Job. Look at Job chapter 11. Job chapter 11. I hope it's not as hot down there as it is up here. Everyone comfortable? Job chapter 11. I don't care what what happens up here as long as you're comfortable. Job chapter 11, verse 7. Canst thou by searching find out God? It's a question. What's the answer? Canst thou by searching find out God? God is unsearchable. He's inscrutable. He's incomprehensible. He's infinite. We cannot altogether know Him. Just hold on to that word altogether, because we're going to find out some wondrous things in the second assembly. We can know Him. But we cannot altogether know Him, because He's unsearchable. Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? Can you get everything nailed down in a a definition or a description of Him? 
The answer to that rhetorical question is no. Both questions in verse 7 get a no. Verse 8 is another question or two. It is as high as heaven. What canst thou do? Since God and the Almighty are as high as heaven, what can you do about it? It's just way above us. Verse 8. Deeper than hell. What canst thou do? You want to talk about a deep subject? It's the glory of God. It's deeper than hell. Verse 9. The measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Now, how long is the earth to a God that made it round? You can't figure God out. Delight in these verses. He's, in, he's infinite. And so we revel in the fact that our God is infinite. He can't be confined in time or space like Jupiter and the gods of the heathen, Baal, and the gods of the Hindus. We have an infinite God. He cannot be measured. We cannot fully describe Him. But what He does allow us to know about Himself is glorious indeed and wonderful. Look at Isaiah 40 and verse 18. We, we often measure things and define things by comparing them to other things. And this is a thought that I've already left with you today. But let me remind you of it from Isaiah 40 and verse 18. We've already had it once in Psalm 113. Who is like unto the Lord our God? No one. Nothing. No thing is like unto the Lord our God. Isaiah 40, verse 18. To whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare unto Him? He is infinite. This is very important right here. That there is no being or thing that we can compare to God. That is why God said, Thou shalt have no graven images or likenesses made, because they, there is no image of God. Do not make anything as a representation of God because you've never seen me. You can go read this in the Law of Moses in the first five books of the Bible. Do not make anything because whatever you make is going to be a degradation of my glory. So we have no graven images. We have no idols. We reject them all. They're blasphemously profane. As you read, as you heard me read to you from Jeremiah 10, 1 through 16, the stock is a doctrine of vanity. Look at, look at Job 37 and verse 5. Job 37 and verse 5. I'm having to tithe the text for you. I hope that it's a subject that might drive you into the Word of God to look for verses that describe the glory of God. Job 37 and verse 5. God thundereth marvelously with His voice. Great things doeth He, which we cannot comprehend. We can't get our minds around Him, what God does. We cannot comprehend them. So we say God is infinite. He's incomprehensible altogether. We cannot know Him out to perfection. God does marvelous things without number. God's greatness is unsearchable, the Bible tells us. So let's ask another question. What does He look like? What does God look like? He's invisible. So he doesn't look like anything that you can latch your mind on to. God is a spirit. And by being a spirit, that means he doesn't have flesh and blood and bone like we do. So there isn't a material object for us to look upon. No man's ever seen God. No man can see God. He's an invisible spirit. He dwells in a light that no man can approach unto. Paul would say, Solomon would pray that he dwelt in a thick darkness that no man could get into. 
either way. You can't see God. Don't just hold on. There's there's someone that we can see, but you're not going to see God, the Ancient of Days, the Spirit Himself, that is the triune God without being made flesh. God is a spirit. And so what does He look like? He's a spirit. He's invisible. That's why we read from 1 Timothy chapter 1. Invisible. No man can approach unto Him that way. What we have in the Bible are word pictures for us. A great king sitting upon a throne. Fire. Glory. Brightness. Light. But it doesn't have a form like us. So therefore we have no images in this church. Can you believe that sodomite uh, that worked for the Roman Catholic Church and painted the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and has this senile, fat old man resting on a cloud. Michelangelo. And they call that art. It's blasphemy and profanity. God doesn't look like a fat, old, white-haired grandfather. He may be the Ancient of Days, but when you see the Ancient of Days, you're not going to think He's a senile old man. He's the Ancient of Days because as we read from Jeremiah chapter 10, He was the former of all things. He is the former of all things, isn't He? That means He came before everything. He is invisible. We don't have any images like that. That fat old man on a big bunch of cotton candy, that's how the world wants to think of God. How old is He? A child asks, or we should ask our children the question, how old is God? He's immortal. He has no beginning and He has no end. And the little child will look no dumber than you'll look. When you try to think upon that subject. Because we cannot comprehend it. Everything we know has a beginning and has an end. We measure everything in time, in chunks of time. Big chunks called years, little chunks called minutes. But we measure everything in time. It's a progression from the beginning to the end. There's growth, there's decay. God has none of those things. He's above it all. Do you know what the Bible says of Him? He inhabits eternity. He lives in a place called eternity. He inhabits eternity. He fills eternity. The Bible says in Psalm 90 that He was God from everlasting to everlasting. Now that's pretty plain, isn't it? You go backward to everlasting. You go back forever and you go forward forever. He is God. Psalm 90. Everything you know and everyone you know is decaying and dying. Every person that you put confidence in, and you put confidence in your daddy at one time, you put confidence in your mommy at one time, without her mammary glands, you were going to go hungry and die. She died. He died. You'll die. Everyone dies. If you put your confidence in a priest or a pastor or anyone, they put their confidence in Moses, everyone died. Any church that put their confidence in Paul, he died. But God is immortal. He's always there. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never die and be taken away from you. He is immortal. Amen. He is. He raises His hand to heaven and swears, like I preached to you a few weeks ago, I live forever. No one can say that. He lives independent of all other beings. We live dependent upon Him for every breath we draw. 
His immortality is glorious. He can swear by it. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. That's why you can trust in the Lord and have your mind stayed in peace. He never changes. But that's another point. And so we should ask our children that one. But we'll get to it in a minute. Who made him? Children, who made God? Who made God? No one made God. Because God's always been. From the beginning to the end. God's always been there. No one made him. He's always been. He didn't even make himself. He's always been. He's eternal. See, we short circuit when we think of something eternal. Because we're not eternal. So we short circuit. We're very temporal. He told Moses, my name is I am that I am. No one made me. I am that I am. What I am, I am. I have always been. I always will be. No one gave it to me. I did not derive it from any source. I was not made. I am, present tense, that I am. I always am, I am. From everlasting to everlasting, it is the independence of God. There's no being like Him. Look at Job 35, and let's get the words of Elihu. I said something earlier that I want to prove with the Bible. Most of you already know this, but it's good to read these verses and to think upon them and to have it reinforced in our minds that you do not add anything or take away from God. You add or take away from yourself. Job 35, verse 5. Elihu is instructing Job with wisdom. Look unto the heavens and see. And behold the clouds which are higher than thou. Job, verse 6, if thou sinnest, what doest thou against him? Or if thy transgressions be multiplied, what doest thou unto him? If thou be righteous, what givest thou him? Or what receiveth he of thine hand? Thy wickedness may hurt a man as thou art, and thy righteousness may profit the son of man. But you're not going to touch God. You're not going to add to him. You're not going to take away from him. God is independently what he is, and we cannot detract from him or give to him. This is the Word of God. I am that I am. He is not, I am what you make me out to be. I am what I am. And if you want to mock me, and if you want to set up a stock of a tree, and if you want to ignore me, and if you want to mine earthly things, I count you mine enemy. And I will reveal myself to you, and you will give me glory. Passively or actively. So we choose to do it actively. And Lord, we give you glory right now. We know we cannot add to you. We cannot take away from you. All that we are, you have given us. All that we ever shall be is by your grace and your mercy. But thou art God, and you're our God, and thou changest not. He is independent of all other beings. So much more can be said on that subject. But we have to ask another question. How big is God? And this is actually, I know, go ahead, think it to yourself. I am a very simple man. 
But I want to tell you, the last couple of weeks, the Lord has played with me in my mind. How big am I? How big am I? How big am I? Uh, let me chase a short rabbit. I, I like physical development. In watching a football game recently and seeing a couple of those overdeveloped men walking to the sideline with 25-inch guns hanging out of their jerseys. By guns, I mean their arms, 25 inches. I was able to tell medium-sized young girls that arms as big as your waist. They say, well, he looks fat. Well, he does look fat because he weighs 350 pounds. But if you put him next to a 30-inch table, he can jump up and down and up and down and up and down while holding a conversation with you, both legs at a time. Because God made him a freak, and he helped make himself a freak. But he's just a little bit better than other men. He's just a little bit bigger. He weighs another 100, 150 pounds. He jumps a few more inches higher, and he presses a few more pounds on the bench. But the question is, how big is God? How big is God? And, and he, didn't, he didn't say this to me in a football game. But just the question, how big is God? Because you know what the Bible wants us to know about how big God is? It's found in Jeremiah chapter 23. How big is God? This morning when I took a walk with a couple little granddaughters, I was trying to explain to them that their other set of grandparents were on the way to church. And I said, is God with your grandparents? Your grandparents, Carnell. Is God with them? Yes. Is God with us? Yes. Can he be in both places at the same time? Yes. And we had a good discussion about how big God is. Because here's what he says. Jeremiah 23, 23. Jeremiah 23, 23. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Am I a God nearby or am I a God a long ways away? You know, somebody sings today, God is watching us from a distance. Sorry. Verse 24, can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord, do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. That's how big God is. He fills heaven and earth. We call this omnipresent. He is present in every place all the time. You cannot go into hell or into heaven and separate yourself from God. The Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 3 and verse 13, while speaking to Nicodemus, said that the Son of Man came down from heaven and is speaking to thee who is in heaven. John 3.13. Of course, those last few words are taken out of modern translations of the Bible. But Jesus was saying, I'm sitting in front of you and I'm in heaven at the same time because in His divine nature, He fills heaven and earth. How big is God? He fills heaven and earth. There's a great deal of comfort and blessing in that. That He's always there with us. There's so much more that could be said. How smart is He? We call this the omniscience of God, or the all-knowing God. In 1 Timothy 1.17, we read the only wise. wise God. He's the only one that has wisdom. 
And His wisdom can't be searched out. It's unsearchable. We cannot comprehend His wisdom ourselves. We cannot teach Him a thing. He's only been a teacher of us. Everything we know, we have learned from Him. His intelligence has no limit. Look at Psalm 147. Psalm 147. How smart is God? God knows everything. That's how smart He is. He's so smart, we can't even measure His smartness. Amen. He's done everything. Did you read some of the verses that we've already read today? By His discretion, He laid out the seas. He laid out the land. He laid out the skies by His wisdom. Proverbs 8 is a long personification of wisdom and what God was able to do by wisdom in the creation of the world. How smart is God? Psalm 147 and verse 5. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. God's understanding is infinite. Now there's comfort in this. There's And there's a warning in this. There's two things. Follow these two verses with me. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. That's a warning and that's comfort. When you're in trouble, God's eyes are in every place and He sees your trouble. If you're doing something good, God sees what you're doing good. And God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. So His eyes are in every place. God knows everything. He knows when we are good, and He knows when we are evil. That's a false statement made about Santa Claus who doesn't know anything because he's just a fat old cotton suit made for fat old men to sit and lie to children. God's eyes are in every place beholding the evil and the good. But there's another aspect I want you to think about. In Second Chronicles 16.9, it says, The eyes of the Lord travel to and fro throughout the whole world to show Himself strong on behalf of those that fear Him. Amen. So there's a, instead of just looking at the omniscience of God and the omnipresence of God, He's everywhere at all times and He knows everything, as a warning for us not to sin, let's take it as comfort right. and blessing. Because He sees every good thing that we do, and He's always there ready to defend us and help us to show Himself strong on our behalf when we fear Him. Thank you, Lord, for such comfort from your intelligence and your immensity. It's God's immensity that He fills every place. It's God's intelligence that He knows all things. And God is invincible. That's why He is the blessed and only potentate. The word potent means power. Or the ability to produce and do work. He is potent. He is the only potentate. He is the only one with power. All power belongs to our God. There is nothing too hard for Him. He would challenge Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. Is there anything too hard for God? See, the Lord asks questions like I'm asking. He did that to strengthen Abraham's faith. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Do you know what was at stake? A dead man reproductively and a dead woman reproductively. Adam, I mean Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham was doubting it a little bit. And Sarah laughed about it. Am I going to give my Lord pleasure in my old age? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing is too hard for the Lord. You will never face circumstances that are too hard for the Lord. Cast yourself upon Him and love His invincibility. Look at Psalm 21 and verse 13. Psalm 21 and verse 13. Lord, we're just taking a small sampling of Scripture. But show us. Yourself, He is invincible. I love invincibility. I hate putting trust in something and finding out that it's inferior. 
You root for one team and they get beat. You see them add another player, another player, good players. They change their lineup. They get a better coach. They still get beat. You look at militaries. They engage in conflicts and they get beat. Nations get defeated. But God is invincible. He never loses. There's nothing too hard for Him. It's your sins that restrain His power. You shorten His arm that it cannot save you, and you stop up His ear that He will not hear you. In Psalm 21 and verse 13, Be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength. So will we sing and praise thy power. Nebuchadnezzar would say that he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none, none can stay his hand. When God reaches forth his right hand, he will do whatever he has purposed to do. None can stay his hand and none can say unto him, What doest thou? No one can even question the God of the Bible. He is invincible in his dealings. Look at Isaiah 40 and verse 26. Isaiah 40 and verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. We have a brother in here that works for the power company. But the power fails. Your lights flicker. They go out. A transformer blows. Your subdivision is out of power. But there is no limit to his power. And you know what his light bulbs are? They're the host of heaven. They're the sun and the stars. And they don't go out. He knows them. He knows the number of them. He has names for each one of them. I have trouble keeping up with the names of my family. You have trouble keeping up with the names of people you meet in your workplace. He calls them all by their names and he knows them by number. And none of them fail for that he is strong in power. He supplies those stars. You say, well, they're just a ball of gas that's burning. You think so? What put that ball of gas there and what keeps it burning? What keeps it from exploding? What holds it together? All the atoms and molecules in the universe consist and are held together by the word of his power. According to Hebrews chapter 1. He is invincible. He's immutable, brethren. Do you like this about God? Immutable means he cannot and will not change. Look at Numbers chapter 23. He isn't like you and he isn't like me. You change your mind, I change my mind. He doesn't change his mind because he is in one mind. And whatsoever he's purposed to do, he will do. Numbers chapter, you say, but he changed his mind with Hezekiah. Oh, no, he didn't change his mind with Hezekiah. You say, but Hezekiah got 15 years added to his life. Hezekiah was going to live 15 years longer. God brought him to the fear of death. And God knew he was going to pray in his hour of death. And he was going to extend his life by 15 years. When we say prayer changes things, it changes things from our perspective, but not from God's. Amen. When Jonah preached to Nineveh, 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. It wasn't overthrown in 40 days. And God knew it wasn't going to be overthrown in 40 days. And here's the real problem. Jonah knew it wasn't going to be overthrown in 40 days. Because that's why he said he didn't want to go there. Because he hated Nineveh. He wanted it burned up, and he knew God was going to be gracious and spare the city. Read the book of Jonah. 
Numbers 23 and verse 19, God is not a man. He's, he's not like us. God is not a man that he should lie. Numbers 23, 19, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Yes, he will. Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Yes, he will. God is not like us. He does not lie, intentionally deceiving us, and he does not change his mind, accidentally deceiving us. He's immutable. He does not change. And therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Malachi chapter 3, 6, Because my covenant promises with you and your fathers shall always stand, and you can rest on that fact. And that's what he says in Malachi 3 and verse 6. Do you know what the Bible says about his, his changing, changeableness? The Bible says he doesn't even have the shadow of turning. Now, that, there's so much comfort in that. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13.8. He doesn't even have the shadow of changing, of turning. You can put your trust in him yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He won't change his mind and not love you today when he loves you, not, not, not love you tomorrow when he loves you today. Thank you, Lord, for your unchangeableness. Amen. One more thing about him before we end here. He's incarnate. God became incarnate in the Lord Jesus Christ. God was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What makes God glorious in that text, John 1.14? His grace and His truth that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we think of God's independence, and we think of His infinity, and we think of His immensity, and we think of His intelligence, and we think of His immutability, and we think of His invincibility, let us also think of His incarnation. God became man. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. God became one of us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Hebrews 1.3, is the express image of His person. He is the brightness of His glory. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. And He by Himself purged our sins. He is called in James 2 and verse 1, the Lord of glory. My beloved brethren, have not respect of persons with the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. James 2.1 How do we give Him glory? By worshipful praise. When we praise God, we utter and we enumerate and we describe the things that make Him glorious. And we sing them to Him. And we pray them to Him. And we give thanks to Him for every good thing we have. That glorious Son, we give thanks to Him for making the sun, causing it to rise today, pulling the clouds back for us to see it early this morning, and to know that it is but a light, dim token of the glory of heaven and of Himself. We confess our sins. The Bible tells us that when we confess our sins and say, I am wrong, you are right. I am foolish and your commandments are wise. I perverted that which you gave me. And it did not profit me. When we say those words, we give him glory. Joshua said to Achan, Son, give God the glory and confess your sin. When we confess our sins and say that we're wrong and he's right, that gives him glory. Because we're glorifying his will, his laws, his precepts over our lives. 
We want to give God glory. I want you to walk with Him. Every time you take a bite of a good piece of food, where did it come from? Who made it? Who, who gave us such abundance in quantity, such abundance in quality, such abundance in variability? You can have so many flavors. The biggest problem in shopping today is trying to pick which flavor I want for about almost every foodstuff. What cut of beef do I want? You need a class. You need beef purchasing at Greenville Tech 101 to even figure out all the cuts. Or you need to ask a butcher in the congregation. It's abundance. When you eat, do you thank the blessed God of heaven? Do you give Him glory? Do you exalt Him for His goodness? We'll have a whole lot more to say about how He relates to us in the second assembly. Acquaint now thyself with Him. Be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. That's the word of the Lord. You want to have peace in your soul, acquaint yourself with Him. Thereby good shall come unto thee. May the Lord bless the preaching of His word.